So are you all set for season two? Absolutely. All right. But before we jump into the episode, though, maybe we should introduce ourselves to our listeners, regular and new. From Ameya Media, this is Karama Sutra. I'm Vanita Bhardwaj. And I'm Chag Desai, and welcome to a brand new season of the show, guys. First, a quick housekeeping note. Uh, this season, we'll be releasing our monthly episode on the 18th of each month. Well, the Chennai Super Kings electing to bowl first. First ball of the Dream 11 IPL. The Indian Premier League, which is a league with privately owned teams, unlike when the sport is played between countries prides itself as the biggest cricket festival of the year in India since its inception in 2008. At one point, there were doubts over whether this year's league would be played at all due to COVID. Luckily for cricket-starved fans, the league moved to the UAE this year, and although there are no spectators in the stands, 269 million viewers tuned in to the first week of games, which is a welcome 15% growth in viewership compared to last year. And the final match of this season will be played on the 10th of November. And matches follow the newer 20 overs format and have amassed a huge following for their quick play, loud entertainment, and American-style cheerleaders. All a novelty for the sport once known as the gentleman's game. Uh, my name is Jaburla. I'm working in Park Ridge's Business Fair Hotel. My favorite team is Chennai Super uh, Yeah, my name is Diza. I'm uh, working in logistics company in Dubai. My favorite team is Chennai Super Kings. But my favorite player is Virat Kohli. <laughs> I support CSK. Cricket is an Indian game, accidentally discovered by the British. Not my words. They can be attributed to Ashish Nandi, an Indian political psychologist and social theorist. It really hits the sentiment behind this obsession that cricket as a sport has followed in India, regardless of India's success and track record. But all other sports seem to be followed only if India, or an Indian, is winning. Yeah, I mean, there's no better testament to that observation than the fact that India's national sport, officially anyway, is hockey. Uh, but we grew up playing the sport, of course. And out here, where we didn't have green fields lining up our roads, the gully cricket, as it's called in India, gully essentially meaning a lane, was played on concrete and in parking lots. So on a Friday morning, a bunch of us would walk down from our buildings, gather at the parking lot near these few office towers that would obviously be empty over the weekend, and kick off our game. What was striking to me, and I suppose this is indicative of how Dubai has changed, in the early 2000s, you wouldn't have to go very far to find a vacant space where you would see people playing cricket. For this episode, I must have driven easily about 30 minutes before finding the regular spots. One of them, which is behind the Zabil Palace which is one of the residences of the ruling family of Dubai. This space is a massive parking lot, and every Friday, anywhere between 15 and 20 teams show up to play a game of 15 overs cricket. Play starts at around 6.30 a.m. and winds up by 10 a.m. That sounds like a lot of teams, though. I mean, do they all know and play against one another? Not necessarily. It's an approximately two-square-kilometer area we're talking about. There are several informal leagues and some of the teams are kitted out in uniforms and even have sponsors, while others show up in their own track pants or sweatpants. And when we went, there were a couple of teams that were playing towards a tournament. Um, I think it was called the Corona Cup. And there was one team that was playing one tournament in the morning and they were getting psyched up to play a second one at an entirely different location, same afternoon. Uh, only for Sachin, I'm supporting them. Even my number, jersey number also 10. <laughs> I'm not playing like a what? The mindset is as such. But my favorite player is Virat Kohli, but I am not supporting RCB. <laughs> my team is always CSK. 
I think the reality of South Asian men who leave their families to come to the Gulf as a primary breadwinner is something that's quite well documented now. But what struck me the most was in spite of most of them working a six-day week, Friday being their only day off, they were so enthusiastic to rise early, show up and play, no matter the temperature or humidity. Are you playing a tournament today? No, today not tournament. Uh, just practice. Maybe after one month we are playing the tournament. Yeah, you know. Think some of the teams there are playing a tournament or? Yeah, yeah, here, over there. Oh, okay, fine. Yes. Yeah, every Friday we are coming here. Lockdown was particularly hard on them. Now, bear in mind, a lot of them live in shared accommodation, which means they are sharing a room with someone else. Sometimes more than one person, and a lockdown meant they were limited to their flat or room. And cricket was one of the first things on their mind, but the last thing they could do. It's like uh, there is a uh, grounds, uh, like you know, hundreds of grounds in uh, Ajman, Hamria. So, but uh, the tournament is like you know, because of the pandemic, uh, now the tournaments are less. We were tempted to pursue the story of the gully cricket phenomenon in the UAE, but by then we'd also listened to and were fans of the Friday game a 2017 audio documentary by the BBC on the exact same theme. But in this BBC documentary, I'm going to show you how over the years, together with my friends, my brothers, we have created a different kind of family and we did it playing cricket. We were fortunate to be able to speak to Freddie Boswell and Zoe Constantine, both journalists who were also producers of the Friday game. Here's Zoe. The idea of investigating and kind of exploring this world of um, gully cricket and the guys that play every Friday was something that I'd wanted to do um, for many years or just a sort of thought that I had at the back of my mind. Um, just such an interesting um, insight into sort of culture in Dubai and in obviously across the Emirates. Um, but it sort of never, never, came, never came together. And then um, Freddie moved to Dubai And we actually went to school together in Bahrain, so we've known each other for a long time. And as soon as she moved, we were sort of searching for something to do journalistically together as well. We drove around for a, a few weekends in a row, didn't we? <laughs> And uh, to try to find, um, you know, a team or to see how the story would sort of start out. And then we just we we happened across upon this this team called the Eleven Star um, tip, uh, Cricket Team. And um, and they agreed um, to be profiled. And again, we didn't really know where it would go from there. Um, and then we we pitched the idea um, to to the BBC World Service, and um, and they decided, yeah, to to give it a go. I have to ask before we go into the sort of the sociology of it all. Um, do either of you follow the game or care for the game? Well, this is the irony, really, isn't it? Because. I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I think Freddie's the same. Um, I am half Australian, half New Zealander, so from two cricketing nations, and yet I have almost no knowledge or interest in actual cricket. So I have to put that. I have to be very frank with frank about that. Um, so it was more about the kind of kindred spirit that these guys developed and the the community aspect, as opposed to like a pure, you know, purist cricket kind of perspective. And yeah, my, I mean, my husband has, he plays cricket. He played cricket. It, he was one of the 
the guys who, who came in and played cricket in the documentary. So I've had to watch him play a lot of cricket over the years. And, you know, when we lived in the UK, had to go to Lords and sit through, you know, the tests. And But I think that there is something really special about the stories that you can tell through a game like cricket and the stories that come up around it. So the actual... Um, rules and playing when we were recording over the weeks. I don't think Zoe and I completely understood sometimes why someone was annoyed or why someone was out. But um, it was, but yes, it, that didn't seem to matter. What we ended up getting was that kind of the passion really came through. And so we were trying to sort of give a voice to these guys and to sort of describe their passion for the game, but then how they all came together and then their lives off the pitch as well, which was sort of all intermingled and interwoven. The Friday game is told through the perspective of the players. I would say they were in their, between their 20s to their 50s. I think um, one thing I would say that I, that I that surprised me, or at least it challenged a, um, a kind of a, an assumption I had was I thought that maybe they were all working in construction or, or maybe working from one kind of construction camp. But they actually came, they were united really from where they came from, not from the, what they were doing um, in Dubai. So um, one guy was an Abaya salesman, one was a newspaper delivery, dri- delivery guy, um, Majid owned a shop selling kind of protein supplements and fitness things. Um, one guy drove, was a kind of driver fixer for Reuters. So it was a, it was a mix really of um, different professions. I think in the documentary, Samir mentions that they were mainly Muslim. They did have some Christians and Hindus also playing, but they were mainly, I would say, Muslims from this Carolyn town. So this is where I think I tend to pause and reflect. When we look at different layers of society, I think we so easily forget the various middle layers. To Freddie's point about assuming the men who come out to play cricket, that they're construction workers, this is honestly something I'm guilty of as well. And even in our explorations, we quickly discovered that there were actually none from the demographic of construction workers. They worked in shipping, IT, logistics, accounting, but also in a salary bracket that didn't really allow for them to bring out their wives and children. I mean, apart from the fact that we ended up sort of, these guys were just such a lovely group of people. Um, But to us, it was sort of quite fascinating that, you know, they all came from this one particular town and kind of recreated that sense of community every Friday morning. So, you know, they came from different parts of Dubai or they lived in different parts of Dubai and they came from working in different industries and, um, you know, different backgrounds. But then they all kind of came together and really had a sense of sort of nostalgia um, around their, you know, their hometown. Um, So for us, you know, when we were asking them, oh, so where are you from? Oh, Kerala. Okay, and then everyone started to say the same town. We were like, wow, that's amazing. So that was kind of one of the, the sort of um, unexpected aspects of, of, you know, what we discovered. And I think the other thing that was um, worth noting is they finished um, when Ramadan started, but the, that year that we did it, I think that was then in July. So they were playing also in kind of hot summers, 
we started recording them with them, I think, in March, April, when it was still, you know, those cool mornings and sometimes rain. And then went on, I think, the hottest day we were out there one day, it was kind of definitely in the 40s. Oh, yeah, it was absolutely boiling. Yeah. My other favorite thing about it was so Mr. Sadiq, who's kind of they call the team captain or the father of the team. He finished his newspaper route at 4.30 in the morning and went straight to the ground to secure it because they also, you know, in Alcacese, that was quite a popular spot. So they had to make sure they got there early enough every Friday that they would be the ones playing. And that was always his job. And then he'd start calling around and telling everyone to wake up and get there. So he would literally like be on the phone like, come on, guys, I'm here. You have to get down. Like, I'm already here. I'm, I'm setting everything up. He was just like the absolute cheerleader of the team and the captain. He's fantastic. You're both sort of, you've spent a good portion of your lives in the Gulf. And you've seen this sort of vignette of men playing cricket. And when you decided that that was the story that you were going to pursue, and do you feel like you got what you wanted or you set out to discover? Or do you feel there's more? I wanted to tell the story of uh, all these guys who live apart from their families in, uh, you know, because for work and to support families back home, um, but not in a kind of sad, depressing way, which is, you know, I think, I mean, it is, it is, you know, not a generally a happy situation, but there is obviously in all things joy and um, that sustains people and keeps them going. And I think I wanted to tell that story. And I think that we did that in really getting to be allowed into these guys' lives and to see the relationships that they had with each other and the love and friendship and support that they all gave each other. And also the this kind of very touching, um, you know, I think there's this idea sometimes that these guys are bachelors but you know they're not I mean they're also they they have wives they have relationships and I think that I also really liked that we managed to bring that in one of my favorite details in the whole in making the whole documentary was um, Mr. Rafiq who was this um, quite you know quite softly spoken didn't speak much actually in when we were recording was quite hard to to get um, words out of and then one detail that we were told was that every day he spent six hours on the phone to his wife back home, which, I mean, I, I've, I think maybe in my entire marriage, I've spent six hours on the phone to my husband. So I just thought was amazing <laughs> uh, detail. And I think so in that sense, I feel we gave a, a, a snapshot of people who are kind of surviving and building lives and relationships um, that sustain them when they can't be with their families. Our aim was to show them kind of on and off the pitch. I mean, I think um, that was something that we were really privileged to see and to, to be able to record was, you know, going out to dinner with them and being invited to um, one of their homes for, for a meal. Um, and just to really sort of show the reality of their lives and the ups and downs and certainly some of the... Um, some of the guys, the sort of the main, the main guys in the piece had really been through a lot of ups and downs. You know, some of them had been here for 20 years and it started, um, you know, in really difficult kind of circumstances and had built things up and, um, you know, managed to bring their families out here. So it was a really, 
Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with Freddie. I think that um, we set out to really kind of tell a story about these individuals and um, hopefully we did them justice. And if I can add one more point, one thing I think that was also important to us and certainly it was to me having worked for the BBC for a long time is I really wanted to tell the story in their voices. So I didn't want it to be narrated by us. I didn't want us to, I mean, even now I'm a little bit, um, a bit uneasy with kind of talking about they and them in a sense. I like hearing from, and so it was also very important to me that Majid narrated it, that we were hearing what they, the story they wanted to tell about their lives and not the story that we wanted to tell about their lives. Now, if you're interested to hear more, you can find a link to the full documentary in our show notes. We definitely recommend giving it a listen. My name is Rohit. I'm, I'm from India, Rajasthan, Jaipur, and my team is Rajasthan Royals from Pink City. And I am also from Pink City, Jaipur, Rajasthan Royals. Who is your favorite player? My favorite players, Steve Smith, Sandra Shemsons, and other also. I am from India, Rajasthan, Pink City, Jaipur. My favorite team is Rajasthan Royal. My favorite player is Sanju Samson, Zorfa Archer, and Steve Smith. Okay, thank you. Now we can't really talk about cricket in the UAE without talking about Sharjah. Oh yeah, I mean Sharjah plays quite the role in UAE's cricket history. But also in the unlikely love story of an American journalist and an Emirati surgeon. That's right after this really short break. Hey, this is Shrag, and since it's October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we have a message from Dr. Huria Kazim, one of the best-known breast cancer surgeons in the UAE. You know, as women, we have to take care of ourselves because we do so much. We are the mothers, we are the wives, we are the daughters, and so we need to stick around. And it's not just about going on this witch hunt once a month and checking your breath. It's literally about knowing your body, what it looks like, what it feels like, where your moles are, where all your lumps and bumps are. Um, and so the breast should be part of a whole body um, awareness. Welcome back. You're listening to Karama Sutra from Ameya Media. I'm Vinita Paradwaj. And I'm Chirag Desai. Don't think Charger has seen an innings like this in a long, long time. He's gone berserk. So, so the Charger the Cricket Stadium came to life in 1984, and in the decade that followed became the centre of cricket here, being the only international cricketing venue in the Gulf. In fact, it holds the distinction of hosting the most number of ODIs, or one-day international games, at a single venue. Charger tournaments were glamorous social events, where the who's who of the UAE, Bollywood and cricket royalty would mingle. And the matches themselves would generate their fair bit of controversy and passion among the fans. I'm going to stick my neck out that football is definitely the more popular sport out in the UAE. But cricket has had its fair share of attention given the high number of South Asians in the country. And so what are the odds of an American journalist meeting his future wife, an Emirati surgeon, at a cricket match? You would think pretty low. And whether or not you're a believer in the power of the universe or just think it's a happy coincidence, that's exactly what happened 31 years ago. And it was at the Sharjah Cricket Stadium that Ron Bagnolo ended up talking to Dr. Huria Kazim. My father um, is Emirati. He's a surgeon as well. And when he graduated from medical school in Bombay, Dubai had no hospitals. 
So he applied to various places around the world um, to see where he could work. And it just so happened his elder brother um, had met a girl at the same medical school in Bombay um, who was from Trinidad. And they got married and um, they had moved to Trinidad. So one of his applications was for a job in Trinidad, but he applied to, um, in those days, uh, Aden uh, and in Yemen and in um, Abadan and Iran, where the oil fields are, and for some reasons, uh, Brazil. And the first answer he got back was from Trinidad. So he ended up starting his medical life as a casualty officer at a general hospital uh, in the capital. So after I was about three or four years old, um, when I landed in Trinidad, and I spent the next 10, 12 years there. So my formative years were there. More than that, my bedroom of my house um, overlooked the Queen's Park Oval. So I used to take binoculars and have my little transistor radio on in the background. I'm really aging myself now, <laughs> you know how old I am. A transistor radio, for our younger listeners, is a portable radio receiver that was built on transistor circuits, semiconductor devices. Transistor radios were wildly popular because they were these portable and dinky devices that one could take along, and they really changed the way people listen to music, the news, and radio. So I'd have the commentary going on in the background, and I'd be watching the match for free from my window. And also in Trinidad, cricket was religion. So when there was international cricket... Um, schools were off. And I went to a girls' school, and we were off, and you were expected to go to cricket. So, yeah, so cricket was like a big deal. And, and I enjoyed the game. So I grew up with it, enjoyed it, and kept up with it. I went to medical school in Ireland. Um, it's a small medical school, so we didn't have our own cricket team. But Trinity College down the street from us did have one. And I'd go there and just sit on the grass and just watch College Green. So, it, it just became sort of, that was my sport, you know, I liked it. Came to Dubai, and in those days, so Ron and I met in 1989, there was not a lot going on socially in Dubai. Um, you had some big events that were few and far between, and one of them was the uh, Asia Cup that they used to have in Sharjah. It was usually uh, three teams playing, India, Pakistan, sometimes West Indies. Of course, I had to go and support the West Indian team. Uh, or sometimes England would come. Oh, they'd have, they could have up to six teams, six sides. They had but, it was, Zealand, but India and Pakistan Australia. were usually there. But the big match was always usually India, on the last day, yeah. India, Pakistan. And, of course, in that era, all the greats, yeah. the people I consider the greats, Gavaskar. Miandad, Imran Khan, who's yeah. the Prime Minister yeah. of Pakistan. Yeah. Abdul Qadir. Uh, Abdul Qadir. Yeah. Oh, the, you know, this was, and for the crowd, I mean, this place was packed, Sharjah yeah. Stadium. But for the crowd, it was like heaven. Because it was one of those events that we used to have in the Emirates where just everybody converged from all society. And they were there for one purpose. It was superb and good fun. Uh, everybody in, enjoyed the atmosphere. And, and in those days, it only took you 15, 20 minutes to drive yes, to, from to Dubai Sharjah. to, to Sharjah. Sharjah. But also the interesting, so I remember when I came back um, after medical school and I put my maroon cap on and I thought, right, I'm going to go, I have to go support the West Indies because there's no other West Indian person here. And I'd go to a game, and if West Indies was playing India, say, 
there were all these people cheering for the West Indies. And I remember thinking, who are these people? And if India was playing, if West Indies was playing uh, Pakistan, same thing. And I thought, who are these people that are cheering for the West Indies? And so it was it was hysterical because if, if the West Indies was playing India, Pakistan would be rooting for the West, the Indies. West Indies. And if they were playing West Indies, <laughs> then, then, yeah. then the other ones would root for the West Indies. So it was just, and so the West the Indies greats. had lots of people supporting. Yeah, Joel Garner, Viv Richards, yeah. Clive Lloyd, uh, Malcolm Marshall. I mean, it was like, yeah. I look back now and I think of the quality cricket that we got to see here. And it wasn't only that, we socialized with everybody. It was a big social event. So that's how come we met, because yeah. it's not like you go to cricket and you sit you know, on the bleachers somewhere, you watch the game for the whole day, and then you go home. This was like a, a whole event. So Ron turns up. And because up, this is a family program, we can't go into what we got up to. Uh, what you or got the up cricket, to. <laughs> what the cricket players got up to. <laughs> but Ron turned up with... Both um, Oh, Sir both. Sheikh Faisal, no? <laughs> oh, Sheikh Faisal, yeah. I just got back from Afghanistan. I was a journalist in those days. And um, I was living at the Galleria. And I was actually working on a story. I had a Tandy. I don't know if people remember what a Tandy is, word processor, but I was bashing out this story. And I had a phone call from Sheikh Faisal, uh, Sheikh Alubna's brother. And um, said, oh, you got to come. Ron, for why, Yanni, where are you? Uh-huh. Where are you? And I said, I'm, I'm working, Faisal. I got some stuff. He says, you must come now. Come, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a chair for you here. So I made my way over to the ground. And uh, I was in shorts and a T-shirt, that was, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> and he was sitting on a throne. And, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Kazim Norani, a wonderful, wonderful man who used to run the cricket over there. One of the people used to run it, lovely man. And uh, he, he said, oh, I'm waiting for you. Here, I'm taking you up to Faisal. And he took me up to the... VIP. The, VI, the, the VIP. Pri- the, yeah, the private. There's three thrones <laughs> behind the white screen. And I say, hey, Faisal, I'm here. How you doing? He goes, oh, good, Ron, sit, sit. And he had me sit in one of the thrones. <laughs> and uh, Noor Ali, the photographer, I don't know if anybody remembers the irascible Noor Ali. <laughs> there was two in those days. There was Ramesh and Noor Ali. They were the known photographers. And um, he, uh, he comes up to me as... He had no social graces, Norali. He goes, why are you here? He goes, I don't, Faisal asked me to come here and sit here. And so he had to take the, the picture and all that stuff. But through that, it was just before lunch, and a friend of hers had caught, caught me in her eye. In her yes, game. she'd actually invited Ron for herself. Now, this is the family <laughs> program, remember? Yes, okay, forget that. <laughs> But it was through that that I met her that night. And, uh, and the reason why you like cricket is, is why would an American even go oh, to a cricket match? Well, that happened uh, back in 82. It was during the Falklands War. And I was making a film in London at the time uh, for Emirates General Petroleum Company. And... Um, in those days, when you were 
shooting on film, you have to wait around several days for rushes and things like that. So there's really not much to do except organize a voiceover or do this. But there was a test going on between England and Pakistan. And my best friend, Valentine Johnson, his father was um, a, a cricket uh, nut. He was a, a premier oboist for London Symphony Orchestra. And uh, he was at home. And the way the British do it is they have the, the TV on in the front room and the radio on in the garden. <laughs> and they go back and forth and drinking. And he decided uh, he was going to teach me cricket. So he got out the wisdom. And for the next five days, or the, the test, I just became enamored with this game. So this was seven years before we met. So yeah. I'm always fascinated, you know, about all the different things that have to fall into place for two people to come together. You know what I mean? It's no coincidence. That I mean, I really believe the universe does this. So if you hadn't gone to make that film, you probably wouldn't think anything of cricket. I mean, you used to have to report it, you said, when you were in Iran. Oh, yeah, I used and to you had no idea what, you, no idea what he what was, was reporting. What, you yeah. would report on cricket when in Iran? And the news, yeah, he was I, was, a news I used to be the newsreader, uh, National Iranian Radio and TV, many And so he would read off the score, but had ago. no idea what and he was talking about. And I had no idea what he was talking yeah. about. Yeah, and you probably would have been the same too. if you didn't have that summer with uh, Aubrey. Yeah. And um, and it's the same thing, and you know, if, and that's that day when I met Ron. I was actually supposed to be um, in Paris that weekend with friends from medical school, and the hospital here was short-staffed, and so they cut my leave. I had to stay, so I was in a really bad mood. And a friend <laughs> said, "Come on, we're going to cricket." <laughs> you and and that's that's how imagine. we met. So it, again, it was all those things that fall into place. This episode of Karama Sutra was hosted by me, Vinita Bharadwaj, and produced by me, Anshirag Desai, who also edits the show, with support from Abhishek Venkatasubramanian and Zainab Ujaini. So we've got a bonus piece of content accompanying this episode that's dedicated to the cricket purists. The ones who miss five days of test cricket, when gentlemen come out in dashing whites in an age of logos and brands. You can reminisce with us, Ron and Dr. Huria, about the original form of the game. Special thanks to Freddie Boswell, Zoe Constantine, Dr. Huria Kazim, Ron Bagnulo, and the players who keep the gentleman's game alive on the streets of the UAE. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can connect with us on Instagram at karama.sutra. Karama Sutra is part of the Amaya Media Podcast Network. You can listen to all of our episodes for free in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Angami, and Deezer. We'll be back on the 18th of November. Until then, we wish you good health. Stay safe.